We made USAA insurance for veterans like James. When he found out how much USAA was helping members save, he said, It's time to switch. We'll help you find the right coverage at the right price. USAA. What you're made of, we're made for. Restrictions apply. Hi, this is Marissa Meyer. And this is Delaney. And this is Sloan. And you're listening to the Prince Kai Fan Pod. Hello, welcome to episode 149 of the Prince Kai Fan Pod, a Marissa Meyer Book Club podcast, where Captain is King, Marissa is Queen, and I am your host, Bethany Finger. This episode is brought to you by Rambi and Crew Patron Supporters. Thank you. You guys are super psyched for my guest today. Today's special guest, Drumroll. Quentin Finger! <laughs> oh, I'm so excited. So, I usually start off with, like, hey, how did you find Marissa Myers? Do you want to explain? My wife made me listen. We have a <laughs> agreement that if we like something, that we will try to share it with each other, and the other person must at least try out, like, an episode of the TV show or a chapter in the book, something along the lines. And then if the other person's, kind of like, fine with it, then we'll keep moving on. Yeah. I will say it doesn't always work. You liked this series, but I think you only made it, like, ten minutes into Pretty Little Liars when you were like, yeah, I can't do this. Yeah. <laughs> I don't really remember much about it, but I remember just going, no. Okay, so you aren't currently reading anything for pleasure. Is there anything... Because you read a lot for education. You like to read a lot of, like, um, information. Are you reading any cool articles or studies right now that you'd like to share? Not in particular. I just like to keep up with political news. I know, boring. And <laughs> also, like, tech news. Big into computers and video games. So I do some reading or a lot of watching of, like, YouTube or other items to kind of get that information. Currently participating in topics, then those topics would be mostly video games. So I've been playing Seven Days to Die with my uh, <laughs> friends and my wife sometimes. She likes to join me. It's it's all about survival and staying alive in the zombie apocalypse. And that's quite enjoyable for myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think so too. Currently, thank you, Amanda Garrison from Fictional Hangover Podcast. I am once again reading Vampire Academy because apparently I cannot stay away from this series longer than like nine months at a time. So this is the third time I've read this series in two years. <laughs> I'm just obsessed with Dimitri and Rose. I, I'm extremely... <laughs> you don't understand how I can consistently rewatch and reread the exact same things yeah, repeatedly? It, it gets me... I can do it somewhat with you going to bed with the similar TV shows. Like every Family night. Guy and Friends and stuff. But well, no, Friends is too distracting because you actually like that one. I mean, I like them all, but I can usually tone them out. But mm-hmm. even after a few weeks of the same thing, I'll go over there and I'll change it. Or can't listen to the same thing. Then you also will be watching stuff. So by the time I come to bed a few hours later, like what I saw or am watching at that time frame. You kind of start with you like rewind. You're like, oh, yeah. I, don't I was like, this. I don't remember watching that, but and you watched it because I had already fallen asleep. <laughs> yeah, so I watch it one night, and then it seems like the very next night I'm I'm getting kind of where I left off in the previous time frame. Maybe I should just start listening to audiobooks at night. Uh, either way, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> then I, you'll just get interested in the book. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Uh, I honestly don't know if I would or want it. It would kind of varies. 
Yeah. It might pull my brain apart. So having like Family Guy or Archer or some of those other things, I already know them. They're also not committal. So the storyline doesn't continue from episode to episode. The mm -hmm. arcs are not grandioso, right? You're just having a small You're not circle. like, oh my god, are Chandler and Monica going to get together? I need to make it. Oh, I need to know. <laughs> Could you actually close that for me? It stopped raining. It was raining here today, you guys. In the desert. It rained in Las Vegas. We got a nice uh, rainport. It was beautiful. So we are also going to talk about some fan art. Our first one, big thank you to Cosmic Nova Flare because I asked her, I think two years ago, if I could share this. Yeah, 2020. I asked her in 2020 if I could share this, and she's been letting me hold on to it for two years. So Cosmic Nova Flare big artist on the Patreon and on the podcast. I share her work constantly. Fan art is so cool. And digital digital art is like one of my new favorite concepts. Digital art. You are you talking about not hand stuff? This is digital. This was yeah. created using computers, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Ashley gave me a whole um like lesson on it when we first started the podcast because I was talking about it and she was like, you know, this is digital, right? And I was like, what? The she like art's actually mind. getting a bit crazy because they're actually adding in uh, AI algorithms that yeah. will generate art based off of specific like genres and pieces. So there's specific libraries where they can actually type in, uh, I want a field, and then it'll somewhat create or add in that to like your main image so you can take one image and then bolster in more and then they're also working on a uh, programming library that will actually make live video edits to stuff adding in art or different things to what's kind of going on so I'm expecting them to allowing like more green screen kind of activity while also adding in more stuff behind you as you're kind of like I always love the new art concepts because growing up this stuff was all still very new and I remember the first Harry Potter movie coming out and it was like oh my god this is so and amazing CGI. and the CGI and watching it now like 20 some years later I'm like you guys this is not good this yeah. is not good this did time, not hold up but for the, for the time, time it was pretty uh yeah it was pretty big uh some of my friends I've been thinking about rewatching Lord of the Rings and because the Ring of Power came out, and one of my friends said they just went and started doing that, but the CGI doesn't hold up. <laughs> but to be fair, that stuff came out almost two decades ago. Mm -hmm. So, that what you know, you're coming through. What do you, you know? It really doesn't hold out is uh, some of the stuff from like, you know, the early '80s and '90s oh, and stuff. Yeah, but but some <laughs> of it, it's like, see, that's why they just built like sets, like uh, Star Trek and. Star Wars, yeah, a lot of it was sets. What else were you going to do the at best, the time, technology-wise? was actually doing a whole bunch of miniatures. Uh -huh. All of Star Trek, all the original stuff was all miniatures. It was all miniatures, and it was really cool. You can watch videos online and stuff. But let's talk about this fan art. So this first fan art is from Cosmic Nova Flare. I've had it for two years, and it is Cinder dropping into the lake. Mm -hmm. It's pretty good. I like the bubbles. It, it's, it feels serene, just like... Comfortable, yeah. relaxing. Obviously, she just jumped from a really far distance and 
she's had a whole bunch of crazy things that took place. <laughs> Trauma. So probably not sitting there going, ah, oh, lovely. But Isn't drowning supposed to be like a really serene death though? Like, am I wrong about that? Oh, it's it's terribly painful. Oh, I don't know where I got that from. That like. Yeah, your lungs like are on fire the moment you start drawing in water and everything else. That makes sense. That makes sense. I don't know where I got that information from. Experience. Uh, freezing to death is more calming. Because um, your nerves. Because once you start to, like, get too cold and too, your body just slowly shuts down and you slowly fall asleep. Mm, okay. Um, I think it's similar with that. And then if that's happening, I think oxygen starts to get low. Then you kind of do a little bit of that too, but not too low because then you, like, hyperventilate and cause other issues. So. What's that major question? Like, if you could drown or burn? Oh. Like, if you had to choose. Uh, fire is the worst. Drowning, I would choose drowning. I would choose drowning. Can like, you imagine, like, smelling your own burnt flesh and hair as, you, as yeah, you're dying? Because like, that's, like, an all-encompassing sense. And just to experience the drowning versus burning, like, you can get over the drowning with some PTSD, but the burn, like, you're... You're not getting over anything. Or, you're dead. <laughs> Well, but if you're burning, like, if those actions, if then you were, like, pulled out of them. Yeah, like, that's you'll true. You'll recover from the drowning much faster than you would I don't know. Some people who have really burn. bad drowning experiences can't even handle water. Like, yeah. they don't even take baths yeah. anymore. Why would you? At that point, you have PTSD. <laughs> you're not going to like water ever again. But fire, like, you're not, you're dealing with daily pain just by existing. That's by being true. alive, the amount of scar tissue and pain that's on you would be, uh, no. Mm -mm. That's Some true. of the worst recoveries. Or from burn victims. So the second fan art we're going to talk about is from T Dreams ninety eight. It is of our our queen Lavana. First of all, I love purple and pink, so I really like the fact that there's a purple and pink undertone to this. I don't think it necessarily matters. It's not necessarily important. I just really like those colors. But I love the veil. I love her red hair. I love that her lips are bright red. I, I love that she has, like, a cartoon face. The eyes are, like, really big, and the nose and the mouth are really small. It's a very cartoonistic picture uh, or concept. And I love that you see her. You see the beautiful, magnificent Lavana that she portrays to the world. And then in the shattered, in my brain, this is shattered glass, like a mirror. Uh, you see what she really looks like. So on the left side, you see the back, which is, the half of her hair that's missing and her scalp, which is covered in scar tissue. And on the right side, you see the front of her face where half of her hair is missing. Her face is covered in scar tissue um, and scratches. One of her eyes is completely shut and she can't reopen it. Um, and I just like the contrast of like what she, what she portrays to the world versus what she actually looks like. The break in the illusion. The break in the illusion. Beautifully said. Yeah. I like that. Kiss your brain. That was a good one. <laughs> yeah, it's good. I enjoy it. Just breaking the illusion you meet pretty much said what I was going to talk about. Yeah, it's kind of fun seeing it like with a starry background. Yeah, that's true. I Almost like that. Like, kind of like a... I like when the art is like so... It doesn't seem detailed, but the longer you look at it, the more things you notice. Like her crown is all spiky and pointy. It kind of reminds me of Ursula from The Little Mermaid because her crown was like very spiky. Mm-hmm. You know, I was thinking about it. Would that mm -hmm. be allowed? Is like she's not allowed mirrors, so she wouldn't be allowed anything shiny that would be reflective. Like her crown. Like her crown. 
I don't know. In theory, she's not going to be reflected off of the crown. Like, the whole reason she Unless doesn't... Unless it's not a real crown, and it's just the illusion of a crown. Well, it might be, because we don't... We're not given the impression... Even, even in these scenes, we see where Cinder talks about, like, the glamour of what their outfits look like versus what the Lunar's outfits actually look like. So it's possible that the crown is completely fabricated. I'm not going to lie... If I had glamour abilities, I would be in PJs all the time. Yeah, and then just make yourself look like you were wearing real clothes. I would suit up. Like just wear your like flannel <laughs> jam jams, and then on the outside you suit yeah, up. Yeah. Yeah. I'd maybe get those jammies that look like a suit, <laughs> and then just cover it. Instead in, of uh, wearing like your giant flannel, you would wear like a yeah. Yeah. I'd make I'd have something so I wouldn't have to be like perfect at my glam, but be able to spruce it up where I needed to so it looks like a crisp We did tusk. learn in Ferris that the less you have to glamour, the less uh, like effort it takes. That's Correct. why she likes to wear gloves. But I would think a crown would be pretty simple. The veil for sure is real. A crown would be very difficult because it has reflections. Yeah. So a proper glam for that would also entail the reflections that they get to see. But she could just be wearing some kind of crown and she yep. glamours it to look a certain way. Yeah. Right? Indeed. Yeah. I don't know. It would have to be very similar to reduce the amount of thought processes that would go on. Yeah, the whole concept of glamour is very... Um, that's why you just need to be beautiful so you don't have to like glam. And then <laughs> Beautiful or you love yourself the way you are. <laughs> You accept yourself the way you are. In this society. Oh, I know. It's horrible. In this society. Just need to be born with that top 0.1% of the genes. You have to worry about it. Golly. Well, we can't all be... uh, We can't all look like that all the time. Don't I know. (laughs) (laughs) So before we get into chapter discussion, last week, Patreon members got to vote on chapter titles. Chapter 49 is... How You Remind Me by Nickelback, and Chapter 50 is It Ends Tonight by the All-American Rejects. This week, our, in our chapters this week, Cinder shows up, and she's ready to face Lavana, and they fight, and then she decides to go for a swim. That's what happens in Chapter 51. Last week, we left off with Audrey and Pearl going to trial for Garen's invention, the reveal that not only the invention works and there were blueprints, but Lavana destroyed all of them. And it ended with the anticipation of Cinder's trial, which is where we start now. We start with Cinder's perspective. I love the cinematic image in my head that I have of her, like, in chains walking into the room. Yeah. you know like in movies and tv shows sometimes if it's like a prisoner situation they have them like their arms Mm -hmm. are in chains and their feet are in chains and when they walk in the room it's like really slow and you can hear like thunk 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 with each step as they walk in so like my mind cinematically this is playing in my mind that's what i see yeah i get that it's actually paints a good picture when you're doing things like that because you're trying to belittle the entire point of this scenario is to show power over somebody and show how little that other individual is. The whole thing is what I love is how Lavana has such a flair for the dramatics. And, like, I swear in her brain she's like, makes decisions based on how dramatic it will seem to the outside. She's like, okay, the whole row of court is going to be over here. I'm going to tell them to dress up. 
I'm going to make sure Kai is like right here. So I want her to see, I want her to see him as soon as she walks in the door. And then I want her to see me as his wife. So I'm going to sit right here and then I'm going to have everybody decide what she'll do and how she'll die. All right, bring bitch in. Like, I like to think Levano plans everything out for the sole purpose of like what could cause the most destruction. Yeah. I mean, in that scenario, everything you know about this person, she's been being defeated time and time again by this person that she's been trying to chase after, that she doesn't want the rest of the world to know who she is. Yeah, she's been trying to murder her since she was three years old, and she keeps just, like, surviving somehow. If I was in Levana's shoes, and my entire goal was to remove this individual from the world, I wouldn't even have a stage. I wouldn't want this individual to have that platform. They would just disappear. <laughs> there would be some cornfield out in the middle of the moon. You know, a little digging. Are you channeling your inner Renee? I don't know what you're saying here. Um, simply, this person would not exist. This one time, <laughs> this one time, my bonus hey. mom, <laughs> Renee, was talking, and she said, she said, have you ever found a body in 40 acres of land in the middle of nowhere? And I said, I don't think so. And she goes, yeah, neither is anybody else. And then she just, like, walked out of the room, and it was terrifying <laughs> you would just have people for this she has an entire shadow core of, and they didn't do it they didn't of, live up they they helped the tiny human escape yeah. <laughs> i would just disappear that person <laughs> and whatever i would be to disappear that person her need to just rub her winning in other people's faces is just she can't just she can't just those Create the wound. She has to salt. She has to lemon juice. She no, has... to be fair, there wouldn't be a story yeah. if this was the case. Yeah. If you look at Game of Thrones, spoiler alert, um, storylines just ended. And they ended fast and hard. You would think they were going <laughs> to grow, and then it would end. And then there had to be all these other storylines going, so that way the story could continue on. But if Cinder just got ended... <laughs> <laughs> There's the end of the story. It just kind of muddled along in their current scenarios that they were she already She could become in. a martyr. She could become a, a martyr for the people. And Not when you're disappeared. It doesn't... Well, think she was disappeared for 13 years. They thought she was, you know, the lost princess or whatever. And she's... And at that frame, there's still a disappeared. All the other story arcs are based around the resurgence of the true queen. But I'm saying with all of these people are already defiant they're already starting a revolution on their own so i think if she did disappear right now they would just be like well we have to do it in her honor they would feel even more fueled on her behalf by this point she would have already been disappeared like there would have been so you're saying many, if you were lamana you never would have let it get this far there never would have been an option at this point like they're disappeared you're um voldemort's assistant there's a comic strip and it's so funny there's a comic strip of Voldemort and his assistant Kevin and Voldemort like reveals all of his master plans and Kevin is like it's a baby just stab it you don't yeah. need a spell there's, no, there's, there's one no where spells. he's like I'm gonna make one of my horcruxes a tiara and I'm gonna hide it here and I'm gonna make one a ring and I'm gonna hide it here and Kevin is like just make this tiny grain of rice a horcrux and drop it in the Indian Ocean your <laughs> your complications are making it harder than it is yes yeah there's and I get it if you're trying to create a story and trying to go, we need to have flaws in people or things or the bad guy's just going to win when the bad guy doesn't have a flaw. I think two things. One, 
this is hardly a new concept. Movies, books, TV shows, they've been doing this for years where the villain has to like reveal their grand plan before they actually do anything. And well, yeah, it's never totally entertaining. Right. Um, and then two, I do think some of this is for show because Lavana has had so much difficulty killing Cinder. That's why it's being videotaped because I think she wants the whole world to see once and for all, this bitch is dead. Okay. There's no, well, we didn't find a body under the ashes. There's no, maybe she is, maybe she isn't. There's no, she could be living in Africa or outer space. She's on the run. Is dead. Fair enough. Show of <laughs> true power when you've crushed all hope. Yeah. And you're leading through fear, where your entire concept and entire leadership is around is fear. She's also been queen for so long, and she's had absolute authority. Yeah. So it's kind of like the audacity of... How how dare this person not just die and take my slander? Right? My slander <laughs> it's the them. equivalent of um, putting a head on a pike. Yes. You you dismember someone and you put a head on the pike. For all to see. For all to see what would happen if you betray the king. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I do grasp, I do get that. It's just if you are playing the realm of magic and you can't steal that magic away from somebody, so you have to still play perfectly near that person that then all you've done is taunted a wounded animal, and the most dangerous thing is a wounded animal. They back Cinder into a corner. She has nothing left to lose. She's being told that she's going to die in horrific ways. And we see at how this, she reacts to that at, at the end moment, of this chapter. <laughs> at, at this moment, you're, you know you're just all in. There's literally no going back at this point. Yeah. Yeah. There's no more taking, a, taking the foot off the gas. Anything that could possibly get you to victory is going to be the only direction you go. Eventually, at the end of this chapter, Cinder finds that her only way out is to jump off a ledge and into a lake. Do you think she had any other option by the time we get there? Do you think, like, walking into this scene right now, do you think there was any other way for it to play out, like, death or this? <sighs> when you're in that scenario, you might... It's, it's so hard to not be focused on one thing. We all think we're going to act a certain way. And you do, until you're in that situation, it's when you talk to fighters or boxers, you, you all go into the ring with a plan, and then you get hit in the face, and then you're like, uh-oh. Instinct kind what, of takes <laughs> what now? Over. And at that moment, when you're going through each of those scenarios, I don't know what I'd be thinking. So it's like we all want to say that we would do certain things or yeah. we would say certain things, but like in that moment, there's no thought process really. It's just like self-preservation and instinct. I know when I was growing up, there was everybody said there's the fight or flight response. Yeah. But they've actually later on found, or I've read studies that, that the majority of people actually do the third thing, which is freeze. Yeah. Most people are like, wait, is this actually happening? Whoa, what do I do with this? And this the scenario, reaction is shock and when you're in the spot where you're in chains being marched into a hall you're honestly kind of defeated i personally yeah. feel defeated and i've lost there's nothing else i can do but i'm also a human who doesn't have mind powers so or cyborg things that's true so i don't have like a little quick hidden belt of tools and my brain features. is also like because I'm absolutely terrified of the concept of being trapped with no exit strategy, strategy, at this point in time, Cinder has been in that mindset for the last, like, day. And she hasn't eaten. She's barely even had water. 
And I'm like, in my position, as as me, as Bethany, if I were in her position, I would be like lightheaded, massive anxiety. I probably would have had panic attacks at this point. And she's just walking in there like, all right, keep my head high. Try to look pretty for Kai. Like, <laughs> Yeah, that's difficult, especially no food, really low water. That can also start causing slow thought processes. Shaky. You're going to be shaky. You're yeah. going to struggle with a lot of things. If it's only a day, though. It's not terrible. It's when you start hitting three, four days without with those extreme conditions that you're going to be really struggling. So it's kind of yeah. hit or miss on how they'd be feeling about that. Like, we don't really, we don't really see her react to the food very much. She she gets she's kind of like, oh, there's food in here and I'm hungry. But can you? I know me if I haven't eaten in a really long time and I'm super hungry. And I met with the smell of food, I actually will get kind of nauseous, like no. overwhelmed by the senses. Not you, I know. I've got a very strong animalistic reaction <laughs> when it comes to food and hunger. I get hangry. Yeah. Yeah. I, just, I don't know in that scenario if I'd actually pay attention. There's so many other things going on that that would just be a quick wash, but like, oh, it smells good. All right, what else is going on? When I'm in stressful situations that have no expiration, I will stop eating. But it's not necessarily a concept of like, I don't want to eat anymore. It's really just like whatever I'm going through has been such a distraction for me that I don't recognize the symptoms of hunger. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like with common. my dad, I didn't eat. You had to come in and be like, yeah, you have to eat. It's, it's very common with food. People forget like the other things that don't matter as much right up front. Um, body's stressed out lose appetite in other yeah. pieces. Um, and, but I've never been so stressed out in a situation I didn't notice the smell of food. But I've also not been stressed out in near food since, like, I worked in food. I, I would, I'd get stressed out. I would still smell the food. I knew I was hungry, and no. then I'd find a way to, like, get a quick sandwich in and then proceed. I got it. really done with Hardy's, like, afternoon food, but I could never pass up a biscuit. Yeah, I enjoyed those biscuits. I'm bummed that we don't ha we don't ha we have the Carl's Juniors here in Las Vegas. We don't have the Hardee's, so they don't do the home baked biscuits here. No, they do frozen, which is actually probably a good thing for my diet. Yeah. So <laughs> it's a good thing we found Farmer Boys who does uh, bacon, egg, and cheese English muffins, and they're are... three dollars. So if you're listening and you live in an area that has Farmer Boys, I do recommend uh, that yeah. you I give it a shot. Those muffins, if you have money, I'm not like telling you to go spend three dollars. Just like if you feel up for it and you're hungry and you have three dollars. Anyways, <laughs> <laughs> so I need to pull a Kathy and get us back on track, but I'm I can't think of a good segue, so I'm just gonna go right in. Great um, segue, babe. No segue. Great segue. <laughs> Thank you. Lavana wants Audrey. No, we're not there yet. Okay, so Lavana, always her flair for dramatics, as I mentioned before, we got off on this food tangent and now I'm hungry. Um, she just, they suggest dismemberment as her punishment. She's supposed to kill herself. That's the, the, the rules, right? The procedure, the consequences you're supposed to death by their own hand and Lavana is like that's not enough what do you guys think we should do so she calls it out to the crowd and they say dismemberment and Kai calls them savages yes Kai that is pretty savage and she wants Audrey to do it to prove her loyalty to Lavana here's my thing 
I don't think Audrey actually cares if Cinder's alive or dead. I don't think she cares how she dies. But I also don't think she has it in her, as evil and wicked and horrible as she is, I don't think she has it in her to commit murder. She's emotionally evil. She's not a physically evil person. What I'm saying, she's an emotional damaging kind of person. She doesn't like you. She doesn't want to be near you. She's going to tell you so. and She's going to make you feel bad. But she won't. She's not a physically violent individual. Yeah, that's true. And being able to take a physical weapon that is like a knife or an axe and dismembering somebody is an extremely violent thing to do. There's not much more violent other than with your bare hands. I couldn't do it. No. It's, no. That, if you are not wanting to do, will create PTSD all on its own. Yeah, and that's not something you would ever get over. I think you would probably wake up from nightmares doing those actions. I mean, I wake up from nightmares if we watch Dexter, so I can't imagine being a part of the experience myself. And he doesn't wake up from nightmares from that because he enjoys the action, the process, right? But that's that's, (laughs) that's the interest. That's that little switch that only very few people in the world have. Most people don't want to actually commit those things. Kai doesn't. He calls it revolting. It is revolting. It is revolting. We have our first instance of wire cutters here, too. Kai calls it revolting. And wire cutters is the first time we've heard this since the ship when they first got to the moon, which in the book was only a week ago, but the podcast is probably like a year ago at this point. Do you remember wire cutters? Do you remember what? No, I don't. So Cinder agreed that she doesn't want to use her powers on her friends, but if she has to in situations, she gives them a warning with a. Um, code word and the code word here is okay. wire cutters so she's she forces Kai to sit down and color is that mm-hmm. what you call it sit down and color yep shut up, and color, shut up and color so yeah. that he well, won't do or say anything to make the situation worse for himself with Levana yeah. or the other earthens mm-hmm. it's it's good to have code words of things like that if you're gonna have to use those kinds of things that others can't see or understand they need to be aware prior to, because if not, they're going to get in your way or they could cause you additional issues. If you're about to do something that could turn the tables, the last thing you want is for one of your friends to think they're helping you and all they've done is get in your way and cause it to get worse. Yeah. And yeah. If you're about to have magical, what's a human going to do? Not understand anything about to happen other than, oh, now I'm a doll. <laughs> <laughs> When we were just talking about, like, the fight or flight um, instinct, we also have to include, like, the protective instinct that Cinder obviously feels towards Kai. But I feel like Kai also feels somewhat of a protective instinct, not just of Cinder, of the other Earth and leaders. We see that both in this chapter and in the next chapter where he, out of all the Earth and leaders, he is one of the only ones that stands up and starts to defend them or or... Uh, argue on the behalf of their safety. Now, part of that is his position as Lavana's husband, Gag. But I think it's just another show of like how far we've come between that and the Kai in the first book. He's definitely grown uh, to see, like, knowing that you need to be the umbrella or the shield for your people is a great leadership quality. And that takes some a long time to learn and some never learn that ability. There's, uh, it's, it's human instinct to think about oneself and be selfish mm-hmm. with every little action, which later we'll get to see. And 
enjoyable to see like him actually grow in that point because I really didn't like him up front, like him as a teenage boy who had an easy life growing up, just being hidden and not understanding of all the things that are taking place around him. So it's nice seeing that he's starting to grasp all the stuff and the amount of stress that's being put on him. As a new leader, too. He's growing into that role and picking up new leadership roles is very difficult. And the higher you go and up that leadership chain, the more difficult and more stress it gets uh, thrust upon you. And there's a lot of people that just, they get that and they just want to go hide in a corner and try to push off as much of that away from themselves. So, which is why you see a lot of the other leaders in the other nations going like, well, I don't know. Kind of yeah. want to shift away from it and not be a part of it. Look at all the leaders of the in the court that's uh, all the oh all the rich people in the the aristocrats the aristocrats of the moon people all them over there they have they think they have authority they think they have power they just stand there not having any power not having any leadership they just chill they're extremely selfish they get to be just themselves they don't have to worry about anything there is no stress in their lives they're the one person yeah that's fair but there's a difference between 1% of leaders, like, because there's very well-to-do people that are leaders who take on those roles, and then there's the 1% who just get to eke away and hide. Mm-hmm. And don't yeah, have they to get to benefit, and then they have the luxury of hiding <clears throat> when they need to. Yep. Another 1% is this, um, the concept that... Cinder could be both a cyborg and a secret lunar. And one of my favorite scenes here, basically, by the way, what happens is uh, Cinder is like, I don't want to die. And Levana is like, you need to die because I'm the queen. Cinder is like, no, I'm the queen. And then just chaos ensues. But I absolutely love that Cinder is like, usually she fights her cyborg programming because it's very difficult for her to keep her eye on the illusion and the glamour when her cyborg brain is trying to show her um, facts and what's actually there and she actually gives into her cyborg programming in this scene and she unveils all of Lavana's scar tissue and what she really looks like and I love that she starts recording I'm like yes girl get those receipts I in tune kind of think about this like if you've ever been looking and you see something past and you don't understand why you don't have the full image of it and then you realize that one of your eyes is actually being blocked by an object in front of you so if you're kind of like looking past a wall but you think you see the majority of the other object but you don't know why the it's not coming into focus fully it's because your one eye can see if the other eye can so give that a try sometime if you're just like behind the fence look past something try to like put it in focus it might be something similar to what that's going on if you want to like kind of get an idea of it not me. Well, your um, depth perception gets lost, but then also, like, you're trying to get a full picture of the other thing. It's messing with your actual standard. You know what the pathway. picture should be, but you only have half of it. So your brain is trying to uh, create the second half of the mm-hmm. picture for you. Yeah. I can um, only assume that's how it would somewhat feel like. I can't imagine how it would actually feel like. But yeah. It with your brain you start doing it. Well, and it's also in her brain when she does it. I mean, this is all. Because happening. when you're holding it up, your brain, so if you put your hand in front of your eye, you you can see your hand, but now since I'm focusing on your face, 
my hand is extremely blurred out and my my eye won't pull. You know what? I don't know if this is accurate, but I think it's the same thing as if you're like watching a movie or a TV show or something and there's a glare so you can technically see your own reflection, yeah. but you're not looking at your reflection. Mm-hmm. You're hello Beowulf. You're, you're looking at, at what you're seeing. Right. You're yes. concentrating on Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then when you notice like yourself in the glare, then you just see that, and then you can't see anything but the glare. Yes. Okay. So those of you listening are super duper smart. So if there's a scientific term for this, princekyfampod@gmail.com. Let me know. Very curious. I don't know scientific terms a lot, and I feel like there's probably a word for oh, yeah. this kind of depth perception manipulation. Unless I just made it up. I don't know. I like that. Depth, we'll manipulation out. of depth perception. I like that. I think it'd be, it wouldn't be a depth perception thing. All right. Well, I don't know. That would be distance from you, like how far away or how deep is something. But mm-hmm. And being able to tune one thing out and then not see the other thing. It's kind of like when you you don't realize it, but you can see your nose the whole time. Yeah. But you never see your nose. Actually, even when I cross my <laughs> eyes, I struggle because my nose is actually really small. <laughs> but. but until you actually think about it, if it's always there, then your brain just goes, oh, it's there's uh, some there's some like eye tests you can do with like dots on the screen and then dots will disappear if you've been focusing for a certain amount of time this and that. There is a there is a term for it, but I don't remember what it is. Probably some kind of illusion. It all has to do with it's just a focusing thing. Hmm. What your eyes are picking up on based off of certain things. Um, there's some stuff with like blinking blinking lights and colors, and then some of them after a certain amount of time they just disappear just because you've become so used to that action taking place. Yes. That makes sense. I buy that. Sweet. Nice. Whether I'm right or wrong, <laughs> I am right now. <laughs> <laughs> right now, no one has proven me wrong. So for this one moment in time. <laughs> so what happens next is Celine slash Cinder says, be loyal to me or I'm going to punish you. And chaos ensues. Lavana completely loses control of her guards. And Cinder swoops in and takes control of their minds. She forces the Earthens to duck and cover. She uses all of she uses eleven of her twelve guards to open fire at all the wolf soldiers, and she uses the twelfth guard to untie her. And I'm I'm trying to explain everything that happens in this scene. What else does she do? She uses Lavana uses all the guards as her, or she uses the Lunars as her guards. Like her shields, basically, and she starts throwing them at Cinder so that they get in the way. Um, Cinder gets bit on the neck by one of the wolf mutants. Um, Eventually, the ten guards die. A bunch of the thaumaturges die. Amory is mysteriously absent. Um, Lavana tries to use Kai as a shield when Cinder shoots her. Everyone in the room completely charges at Cinder, and in a last moment of desperation and self-preservation, she leaps off the balcony, and that is the end of the chapter. That is a lot of stuff to go down in one scene. It was very, very fast-paced. Yeah. And I was honestly, to prep myself for this uh, podcast, I was listening on Audible, the books again, and I was also kind of perusing other things online. And when the scene started happening, my brain was like, oh, right, important things are happening. And then I almost needed to rewind to... Been there. 
to go back yeah. and like hit because there's so much happening all at once my brain couldn't piece all the little pieces together without the re-listen sometimes um, when I'm reading I do that too because my brain will like jump on the pages when there's like a lot of dialogue like if you turn a page and your right eye randomly sees I love you you're like wait how did we get there but then you kind of have to reorient yourself and go back to make sure you you got all the little tiny pieces because there's a lot of things that happen in this chapter mm -hmm. where you'll blink and you miss it like the concept that Amory just completely ducks out mm -hmm. Amory leaves the scene yep. Lavana starts trying to kill Cinder Cinder starts trying to kill Lavana slash protect all the earthens and Amory is like I don't want to die and he just he's just gone so I actually believe that Amory selected, obviously he chose to leave, but I think he chose to see what would happen between the two because he was kind of curious to see if the queen would die. That's fair. Because if he had stayed there, Cinder wouldn't have had any options with the amount of people because a thaumaturge's entire goal at that point would be paying attention to anybody's mind being available to be grabbed. And... If they noticed any guards or anyone being able to be able to be grabbed really quick, they would have just immediately latched on to it. Because you wouldn't want another lunar to be able to just grab on and then commit those acts against each other, which is why they have such an iron grip on everything. Yeah. So with Amory dipping out, it wasn't because he was like spacing out and doing, I mean, tactically, we got two options here. Either Amory was spacing out, all of a sudden everything went crazy, and he's like, uh-oh. Gonna... I don't think so. I think Amory saw the escalation of the situation and removed himself from the possibility of getting injured. No. No? No. no. You think that... he's too calculating? Yes. He either went, uh-oh, bad things are happening. I should try to fight back. Nah, I'll just leave for a moment. Or what I actually think happened is he sat there and went, hmm, if I do nothing craziness might ensue and then I might get more power out of this. Well, we also have to keep in line. mind that there is a level of animosity between Amory and Lavana. Mm -hmm. And if you didn't read Ferris, I'll explain listeners what that is. The Beowulf is shoving me. Um, I'll explain what that is for those of you who did not read Ferris. When Lavana became queen, she was in need of a new thaumaturge. And it was supposed to be Amory. He was next in line. He'd worked very hard up until that point. He was ready to take the place of head thaumaturge. Instead, Lavana picked Sybil, who was many years his junior, with far less experience and nowhere near the top of the line for people who were next to get that promotion. Lavana picked Sybil because she... Felt a connection to Sybil and she trusted she trusted Sybil's loyalty as she should have. But that meant that for 15, 16, 13 years, however long it was, Sybil was head thaumaturge and Amory wanted that position and had to deal with being second fiddle for that long. Okay. Now he finally has the position. I'm finally head thaumaturge. So maybe part of him is like, if Lavana dies, I can pledge my allegiance to Celine. Yep. And keep my place. And Celine's not married. Maybe I can swoop in with a marriage proposal and get even more authority and power. Yeah, because he's going to only think of it in that power play. That's the entirety of how 
their courts and their yeah because he's not loyal to Lavana and he's not even necessarily loyal to the crown he's Mm -hmm. loyal to power in whatever way he can he can get it yep which is why I think he selectively chose not to assist the queen he left the situation the situation and if you don't get seen you're less likely to be noticed that you're not there because somebody sees you walking away or dipping out, then know you've left. I mean, that's the entirety. That's completely how magicians do their job. All the idea of misdirection. So the moment that Cinder is starting off with everything, there's so much going on. Nobody's going to see Amory just Amory dip. duck out. He's like, oh, oh no, I guess look at the time, guys. <laughs> I'll just... I mean, he's, uh... he's, Amory is intelligent. He might be an ass but we can't take away his intelligence. Oh, no, he's no, very, no. he's, he's very intelligent. He's very calculating. So part of him has probably already got our story ready. You know, like okay. I went to get more guards. I went to get more thaumaturges. I went to, you know, I was detained by this or whatever. Like he I didn't, he didn't walk away without having like some kind of story for when he got interrogated. Oh yeah. <laughs> so another thing that happens in this, scene that we'll talk about because there's a lot going on in this scene so I kind of want to just talk about the highlights. Cinder forces all of the earthens to duck and cover and remove themselves from the fight whereas Lavana uses her people mm-hmm. as human shields and weapons and distractions to uh, deter Cinder from getting to her. Um, so I just, I liked that there was an inclusion in this chapter, even if it's small, there was an inclusion of like the two different types of leadership, Cinder versus Lavana. So I don't really think that's a, a care or love for the people. I think that's more a care that she knows that they're innocent in this ploy, like kind of stuff that's going on. So why create that issue? But I also know that I would think that she's being very calculative in the future. If she's able to get the throne, if she's able to do these other things, she now has the earth that might want to actually create trade deals or other pieces in the future if she's wanting to have that cohesion between her future role as queen. So you don't think it comes from a place of, like, moral... There, There is some morality to it, but if you're going to win, you're not going to split your efforts in that scenario. So if you're just focusing on winning, the human lives don't matter to you. You could actually utilize them to throw their bodies at the other things coming your way and get them out. So the only reason, there's only two reasons to save them or kind of help protect them. A is because you have the moral high ground and you really care. You don't want these innocent individuals to get harmed for no reason. And B, an unharmed group of politicians and other people that you might want to have relations with later are going to appreciate you because you helped them stay alive. It's true. And we already know that she wants to have, I think we know this by now, that she wants to, if she takes the throne, that she wants to have like a meshed society. Yeah, she's made it pretty clear, like even if she gets to the throne, she doesn't really want to be a queen. She just doesn't want Lavana to be a tyrant. Correct. Yeah. So yeah, that's a good point. And then the last thing we'll talk about in this scene that we miss, it's very small. Cinder and Kai sort of lock eyes during this um, escapade. And there's a moment where Cinder realizes that Kai is like staring at her during this moment. 
Um, so I'm just curious if we think it's horror or awe or both. I think a little bit of is like off, but I do think there's a part of Kai that's a little terrified of the control she has right now. I think it's more of a, this is happening. <laughs> you don't think it's like, my girl is amazing? I mean, there's going to be that level of awe, but also this is like, this is what we've been like pushing to get to and... The moment we've happening. been fighting to avoid is here. Yeah. Yeah. So... It's kind of a, a mixture of everything coming together. I think it's all those thoughts, all those feelings. Because being able to like have that like emotional connection where you look at somebody, not say words, know kind of what that person is feeling or thinking, and then kind of moving on. I will say that's a nice connection to have. Yeah. Yeah. Like, just because we're married, like, I know there's definitely occasions where you and I will be, like, out doing something with other people, and you and I have a look, and it's like, well, time to go. Like, <laughs> oh, no, that. don't you have that thing? I, I don't know, though, if you if I give you the look, and then you know I'm about to jump off a cliff, mm -hmm. though. I have no idea if I would give you a look <laughs> of, like, I'm about to jump off. I might, like, do, okay, but to be fair, yesterday... You were playing games and I was telling, I was trying to tell you that I was going to go take a bath and I mimed swimming and you were like, bath? So I don't know, maybe we would. We have a weird communication I'm thing. Trying to know what you're going with. It's like you're trying to figure out what the other person is. is. It's kind of like my dogs. You got, all right, dog, you're whining at me. You got, are you fed? You got drinks? You need to go outside and go potty? Like, I don't know. Yeah, like, you just kind of, you're like, something's wrong. Let's figure out things. trial and error, process of elimination. There's just certain things in those moments you can't tell the other person what you're thinking other than, like, an emotion. Like, oh, like. In the future, if I think I'm about to jump off a cliff, I'll make, like, a fishy face or something. Just say. <laughs> <laughs> but that is how we end the chapter with that. I can't make that noise. But uh, Cinder jumps right off the cliff. So let's talk. We, we kind of missed a little bit with uh, uh, her not shooting Levana. Didn't she try to shoot Levana? Did we not talk well, about tried, that? she but he pops in front of her. Yeah, I mentioned that, but we, we didn't talk about it directly. I kind of skimmed over it. Yeah. yeah. So go ahead. That's one of those moments where you could also go into the idea of, is that really the moment to care about certain pieces, right? She's looking into her, like, her future, her love, but she could end everything right now. She could have that moment where she kills Levana. I'm Quentin's wife, you guys, and we're about to find out how much I really mean to him if the, in the grand scheme of things. Um, Depends on my guys. <laughs> Depends if on the enemy, Bethany. Maybe I will kill you. It'd be very difficult uh, <laughs> to be fully blocked, like by the other person. And it's not like wasn't she fully blocked? Did she use Kai as a shield? But like yeah, you got the human shield factor in play. But is a hundred percent of the body blocked? I don't remember. And at that moment, shouldn't you have practiced shooting a gun more? <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, she's had the gun finger thing for like what of two months. I so. feel like cyborg hand would be very accurate. That is fair. And if I could, if I could glance a shot off of Levana, I would at least try. Clear-headed, Cinder bent down to retrieve a gun from one of the fallen guards. She lifted her arm, gritting her teeth against the searing pain in her shoulder, and aimed for the spot between the queen's eyes.
For a split second, Lavana looked terrified. Then, Kai was between them, face slack from manipulation. Sweat dripped into Cinder's eyes, blurring the world around her. The heavy doors crashed open, followed by the sound of boots pounding in the hallway. Reinforcements had arrived. Heartened, Lavana sent every remaining person in the room charging at Cinder. The Earthens and the aristocrats may not have weapons, but there were a lot of hands and a lot of nails and a lot of teeth. The new guards would be close behind. So I think if nothing else, it, it probably didn't block her shot. It surprised her enough that it yeah. took the attention away from the situation. She made the mistake of thinking she needed to do a kill shot. When a symbol. When it, so when you first start and you're aiming, you should always do like two to the body, one to the head. The head ones to the finalized, make sure, but the ones towards the body are to make sure you can hit. Yeah. So trying to hit small things, especially when you're talking about like searing pain in the shoulder, she's got other issues. Aiming is going to be a difficult thing. So trying to bring a weapon towards and aim at a specific location all you've done is take extra time and extra effort to get to that spot. Even Trying to grab all the groceries in one trip? Oof, not how you would have done that. You know sometimes less is more. Like when you drive less and save with the USAA annual mileage discount. USAA, get a quote today. She had hit Lavana in the torso. Who's to say she would have been able to, or Lavana would have been able to maintain the concentration to even pull in another guard to or that's true person. she probably would have lost grip on her glamour and her manipulation correct i mean a big shot to the gut the amount of searing pain and everything else going on i mean in that scenario shoot her foot shoot her hand shoot her kneecap like it's kind of a you're sweeping upwards and the moment you got in line with a torso piece you would have started firing okay fair enough so the, there was hesitation in her action and then miscalculation thinking that I need a single shot to end this versus, oh, I'm just open fire. I'm just gonna open fire at this person. And in that instance between her pulling it up and trying to aim, now there's another body in my way. You heard it here and first, folks. If you are fighting for your life, just don't speed. worry about aim, just open fire. <laughs> and get. It's kind of like shooting for the broad side of the barn, right? We yeah. aim for the torso. Aim small, miss small. Yeah. yeah. Aim small, miss small. Let's get that quote in from... Uh, I don't know. It was a movie I used to watch with my dad. It was The Patriots. Patriot? Okay. There you go, guys. Remember <laughs> The Patriot. All right. So let's talk about song choices for Chapter 51. You first, because you're the guest. Song choices? Or do you want me to go first so that you understand how the, it works? I'm um, sorry. Do, 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 do. My brain's going to dip, dip. Uh, I'll let you go first and then talk about mine, I guess. Okay. Well, as everyone knows, I am a very lyrically based person. I like to pick songs based on lyrics. So I chose Something Bad by Taylor Swift. Brilliant song, you guys. Love it. Originally, I had Jumpers by Third Eye Blind, and Quentin was like, that's insensitive. And I was like, you're probably right about that. So... <laughs> I never trust a narcissist. No, we really shouldn't. And Lavana is probably classic definition of narcissist. Um, I love, I can feel the flames on my skin because Cinder was burned by Lavana and crimson red paint on my lips because Lavana always has blood red lips. Obviously my favorite line is if a man talks shit. 
and I owe him nothing because, you know, it's just a brilliant line. I did something bad. Why does it feel so good? I did something bad. Uh, most fun I ever had. And I do it over and over and over again if I could. They never see it coming, what I do next. This is how the world works. You have to leave before you get left. I love that song, but I also love this scene. I love that in this scene we have Cinder. This is Cinder's like dun, 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 moment, right? And I love the idea of this song like taking over that moment of her being there and having control of the situation. She is fighting a narcissist. She is doing something that the Lunars and Lavana are considering bad. They're considering it uh, a, a treason, but she knows that what she's doing is right. And that's why she feels good about her decisions. And that's why she feels confident in her decisions. Um, and also that's a badass song. So Very nice. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about so, your choice. I also was thinking about picking up like a, I'm, I'm about to take charge and win kind of song. But uh -huh. at the same moment, it was just so, it was such a dark chapter. Mm -hmm. It was so gritty. And there's a band called In This Moment. They are a metal band. They're very theatrical in person. They do... We went and saw them in person yep. and they had like costume changes and not just like outfits and costume changes, but they also had like set designs and they were constantly like changing everything yep. in between each song. Like they really put on a show. They're very performative. So when I was uh, thinking about the scene, she asked me to add, think about like a song. Honestly, in this moment, Big Bad Wolf uh, really just kind of hits it home for me. Um, can't explain it all of why it just if you watch it give it a go. I will say though, if you are photosensitive, it is a bit of a flashy uh, band. So keep that in mind. But only someone who's married to someone with a seizure disorder yeah. would think to be like, dude, this has strobes. But it does start <laughs> off with even in these chains, you can't stop me. Just it's kind of one of those moments. She's in chains and she can't. There's a lot of this that fits. There was a nasty little piggy filled with pride and greed. I mean, yeah, that's Lavana. Um, there was an evil little piggy, typical disease. There's a, a plague running rampant on Earth. Everywhere I go, you go along with me. Everything you get is all because of me. Because of Cinder, quote unquote, dying, Lavana is able to have her power and her throne. That's why she's so dedicated to removing the threat that is Cinder. Um, no matter where you want, you run, you cannot hide from me. Levon has been chasing her for 13 years, and yep. Cinder just keeps magically surviving and popping back up. So, yeah, you did a really good choice. There was a lot of good lyrics in there. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about chapter quotes. Yours I wrote down for you. Thank you. Okay, so, and the thaumaturge is dead. All dead. Cinder had killed them all, except maybe Amory, who she couldn't find in the chaos. She wanted him. But she wanted somebody else more. So I like that one just simply because it, that's when he started pointing out like, oh, there's some uh, connivory going on in the background. There's yeah. breaking up in her court and her people, her most trusted people, are wondering if it might be better off if they see what happens instead of trying to intervene or assist their queen. So I like They're questioning, that. like, did we choose the losing side? No, they're trying to adjust and see, huh, oh, things might be changing. This is the turning point 
of the possible future I might be a part of. So they're wondering of, oh, maybe can I do a quick swap around in here? Maybe I, I don't actively assist, but I'm not, uh, I'm not assisting the enemy, but I'm also not uh, helping my family. That's fair. Oh. oh, what is that saying? History is changing. You can either be a part of it or be held back by it. Yep. Is that what the saying is? Uh, something similar. Something like that, yeah. yeah. So mine was, this black sky opened up before her and she fell. Two things. I love when a chapter ends with like a dun-dun-dun moment. I think jumping off a cliff is a pretty good way to end a chapter. That's a pretty good way to make sure everybody goes to the next page. Like if you're, if you're, because I know you don't read very much, but if you're watching TV and you're like binge watching a TV show and you're like, I'll go to bed after this episode. And then she jumps off a cliff. You're like, well, better make some coffee because you're not going to bed. This is the definition of cliffhanger. <laughs> yes, so, literally, girl jumps. She's like off a cliff. Marissa's like, I need to come up with a cliffhanger. I bet if I make her jump. <laughs> but I also love Marissa's dedication here to including imagery even in the tiniest moments because a simple she jumped would have been just as impactful. Um, but she said the black sky opened, so. We get this vision of she's in this bright room with noise and chaos and screaming and blood and and just sheer simulation overload. And she jumps out to nothingness. There's nothing going on out there. It's black. It's most likely quiet. It's completely the opposite of the current environment that she's in. And instead of saying, like, she jumped... She didn't actually jump. I think she literally, she just ran off. And she didn't necessarily jump, but she she fell. There's so much, there's so much different imagery with that. Right? <laughs> Looney Tune-ish. Yeah. Like, you're just like <laughs> running and you just hit the edge and just the feet keep spinning, but not. And then you're just like, oh, oh, and you drop like but the cartoon. I see jumping and you're like, there's like a planned action of what's taking place. I would like to think she had planned thought processes in place because... The fall onto water is. Uh, I think part of it can be very deadly. <laughs> yeah, we talked. We spent a lot of time before recording, you guys, trying to figure out like how dangerous is it to jump from four well, stories and land well, in water. We know how dangerous it is. Right, but like, are there proper techniques? And there are. Um, but I just I like the fact that there's imagery that we are transitioning very much that Cinder is going from a loud chaotic room that's bright and filled with color to the black empty sky where there is nothing but stillness. Um, And I like the concept that it's not just that she jumped. It's not just that she's like flying through the air. It's that she fell. I think part of it is also in my brain, this is a concept where she's not necessarily in a bad way, but she fell from grace as well. Hmm. No? Uh, I want to go to like Falling. I'm reaching with that one? I think you're reaching with that a little. Fair enough. All right, so before we talk about Chapter 52, stay tuned for a little quick commercial from one of our favorite podcasting friends, and we'll talk to you in a minute. 
Hi, this is Leah Stuhler, creator and host of YA Book Chat Podcast. If you love reading young adult books and chatting about them with your friends, then head on over to my podcast and take a listen. Each episode, my guest and I chat about a different YA book. We start spoiler-free and then head into our spoiler section where we dive into the mysteries of each book. And we do it with laughs and fun along the way. You can listen to YA Book Chat on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and wherever you get your podcast. And now, back to the show. Welcome back from our little commercial. Chapter 52, we're in Kai's perspective on the same exact scene. Let's talk about Kai's night. Up until this point, Kai got married. Kai stabbed Lavada with the scissors. That was brilliant. I always loved that scene. So up until this point, Kai stabbed Lavana, got married, watched Lavana and her minions throw this huge party, watched all of the servants be mistreated, like the one that had to like hold the tray over his head the entire meal. He watched Cinder's mother and sister, for all intents and purposes, get put on trial for an invention that nobody knew about and there's no proof of ever existing. He finally saw his girlfriend for the first time in like an entire week only to have her get in a fight with his wife and jump off a ledge. Kai is having a very bad day. It's always tough when your two lovers are... <laughs> I'm told. I'm told. That's the case. Yeah, let's hope you don't have that... I don't have that issue. issue. <laughs> Crazy wife isn't interfering with your cyborg girlfriend? Nope. Yeah. <laughs> cyborg girlfriend sounds like I have a... Like a robot girl? Like, like you had to doll. build a girlfriend because you couldn't get... It's like that silly episode with American Dad. It's a freaking vacuum cleaner. <laughs> Anyways, all the guards, saboteurs, and wolf soldiers are dead. So this is Kai's night right after his uh, lovely wedding. Now there's blood and dead people everywhere. Some of the servants and lunars also didn't survive. Amory shows up, just walks right out of a servant's alcove, and Kai's like, you coward. Lavada is literally screeching, but miraculously, all of the earthens are completely unharmed. Isn't that lovely? Thanks, thanks, Cinder. And you can just tell what kind of person somebody is just by, like, after the disaster happened, what kind of things is that person worried about? What are they prioritizing? And Lavana's screeching about making her halls look pretty again, cleaning up a mess, when you, as a leader, have a felon about to, that's on death row literally cause more reason to be on death row and is loose. Yeah. There's no proof that the individual's dead. Just, uh, oh, they probably didn't survive. Do you remember that car accident we got in a few years ago with the deer? Mm-hmm. We had reactions to that, and that was a similar, like, life or death situation. Like, you reacted to, your reaction was like, is Bethany okay? My reaction was, is Quentin Okay. Once we realized we were both okay, you were like, okay, what about the car? I was like, is the deer okay? Do you remember? I completely freaked out. I was like, how do we help the deer that we just hit with our car? I was trying to assess my options in my scenario. You were assessing the other life forms. Yeah. Yeah. I knew I couldn't do anything for the animal. 
No, the cop had to he put it down. Had to put it down. The cop was really upset about it too. He yeah. was like, he was like, this is like the worst part of my job is I have to kill a deer. Like, yeah, pretty much. But unfortunately, it, there wouldn't have been medical treatment that we could have given to that deer. But I was just saying, like, we what we both reacted with our our person, right? Like, we mm-hmm. both checked to see if we were okay. But you, after finding out I was okay. We're trying to assess the situation for us. Mm-hmm. And me, after finding out you were okay, was worried about the deer. Yeah. And it's the same thing, right? Like, it's what are your priorities? But in this scenario, she doesn't care about anything other than cleaning up the mess, bringing back the illusion of everything's okay, and then trying to figure out and find Cinder. Yeah, she has no concern There's about life no remorse. of any concept of it she doesn't even check like who survived and who didn't she like doesn't even notice that Amory was gone and came back because that's how little she cared about who else was in the room and even like we know that she doesn't care about life but even at this point it's not even a taking calculations of how many thaumaturges died what kind of abilities what level of force do I still have it's uh still just demanding still not even caring about the possibility or anything else it's just the a duh I can, I'm always going to get my way whether a million people die or not. It's kind of like the Zap Brannigan method, method to uh, stopping the kill bots. From Futurama? Yeah. What he, was his method again? He remembered or he found out the kill bots had a limit to killing. It was like after they killed like a thousand or a million people each, they would, uh, <laughs> they would turn off. So he just kept throwing wave after wave. So he's like, all right, we'll just kill all these people. We'll be done with you. Yeah, does that brand new method? A better method. Like, we're playing this game called Seven Days to Die, right? This this zombie game that we love. And I just discovered a foolproof save the other day. If you are dying from infection and you have a broken leg and your character also has a concussion, when you die and come back, all of those injuries are gone and you're at full health. So, next time you're playing Seven Days to Die and your character is like... And you're fearful of death, just die. <laughs> and then you'll be really, very Well, it's the again. same thing. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk about Torin. First of all, I love Torin. Readers and listeners already know that. I absolutely adore Torin. I think he's amazing. I love that he's like the only grown-up in this entire series who actually prioritizes everyone and everything before himself. He's probably the most selfless character in this whole series. I mean, to be fair, he's the only actual adult. I know. They're all children. Okay, Lavana, Amory, those people are all like mid-30s, so they're adults. The Doctor's a full adult in this show. At no point do I think of him like a child. I think a lot of his deter- his choices were still selfish, and I think Torin is the selfless version yes but there's other things like i don't think of the doctor as not being an adult fair enough but he's not a part of the story anymore correct but all the other people are young adult at best well the earth and leaders are all supposed to be adults yeah but they they're not main characters they're not given a voice they're not they're not real characters in this they're just just like the aristocrats they're there to be some of them are quote old adults right Correct. like they, they like, are but they're not given any level of real power and some like real authoritative positions aren't even thrust upon you until your mid-30s or late 40s true. so when you have these leaders that should all be 
very authoritative. The only time we see them being authoritative is when they're doing their council meetings. Yeah. Between all the other nations. That's the only time we see that. The rest of the time it's just like they don't exist. They're just there. And when they're in these scenarios, they're just supposed to be onlookers and watchers, and that's all they are in this thing. So they're not, like, acting or demanding where I think real leaders would be in those scenarios. That's true. I believe that if we, in the middle of, like, a G7 summit, and you have, like, all these leaders and presidents of all these different nations, and if something crazy like this started happening, you would see all sorts of, like... Remember, this is, like not the same level but it is a reaction that I could see do you remember we were watching friends the other day and it was the episode the one where Ross got high and everybody just floods information and the mom stands up and just like deals with one ridiculous problem at a time and she just she takes charge of that entire situation all of the chaos that ensued she completely erases it and fixes everything with like seven sentences yeah. Maybe I should insert that friends clip so you guys can hear how funny it is. Monica and Chandler are living together! Ross married Rachel in Vegas and got divorced! Again! I love Jacques Cousteau! I wasn't supposed to put beef in the trifle! I wanna go! That's a lot of information to get in 30 seconds. Alright, Joey, if you wanna leave, just leave. Rachel, no, you weren't supposed to put beef in the trifle. It did not taste good. Baby. I'm sorry, but I think Jacques Cousteau is dead. Monica, why you felt you had to hide the fact that you're in an important relationship is beyond me. Ross, drugs, divorced again. Yeah, that could be it. That's a touring kind of thing. He's very calm, collected. He's uh, trying to think about everything that's taking place at any given time while making sure he's prioritizing the important stuff. And so because I love Torin, because I think he's so selfless and grown up and everything, I have got to see this image of him being disheveled. I can't wrap my brain around it. I have a feeling even, quote, disheveled, Torin is still more put together than most. Oh, yeah. In my brain, Torin is kind of like, like, he's kind of like, like the Barney Stinson. Like, he's always dressed well, well-groomed, well-presented. He does yep. his hair every morning, like, shaves every day. Like, I, I want to see this concept of Torin being disheveled. Yeah, when you start seeing, but most people, even in, like, the most well-put-together kind of individuals aren't going to be in these situations very often, if ever. So when something so insane happens in front of you, these are images that are going to be burnt into your head. Yeah. And it's just not going to, it's it's just going to be that way. And anybody who wouldn't be disheveled. (laughs) (laughs) How did that happen? Just like walk away completely unharmed and it's like, what? The only way is because you've you've had so many crazy things happening to you in your life consistently enough that you're not like blinking you're not batting an eye at it well i just mean like he's also going to be disheveled in his appearance in terms of like his hair his clothes his so what we see is kai react to the situation he wants to know uh do you think like cinder could have survived that and i did some research quentin did some research So, it said that her drop was at least four stories, which is roughly 40 to 50 feet. Quentin found that the record is 193 feet. So, yes, she's fine. 
Most likely. Most likely. That 100% goes back into the discussion of how did she jump, kept running. I don't know which, if her, like, which part of her body would have, like, started shifting. Because she, if she, like, belly flopped. Oh, yeah. Feet, that's some damage. <laughs> that's very painful and very harmful to the body. And could have easily blacked out. Her entire body would have turned into, like, a massive just bruise. Um, when you're going to the 193 feet, the individual was wearing, uh, like, a, a wetsuit, which is going to provide some uh, impact protection. And then they also train themselves to jump properly and know to point their feet and toes downwards and angle their body in a certain way so that way they slip into the water versus just slapping I know the water. when my parents went to Costa Rica, my dad <laughs> cliff, did cliff diving. Yep. And they gave him like a, a little like lecture about these are the proper, I don't know how many feet he jumped. I want to say, if I remember correctly, and he uh, ended up slapping his uh, buttock region. Yeah. <laughs> just quite damaged and bruised from his And uh, he, he was limping around. Yeah. The <laughs> Our, my bonus mom was talking about like him limping around the rest of the vacation. Yeah. So the other question is, can cyborgs swim? Can they be completely submerged in water without damaging their equipment is that the right word i'm looking the for electronics it's going to be their electronics and the circuit boards like my watch can go 100 feet underwater and it's fine it's just is it designed to do it yeah so is all of her electronics designed to be submerged designed we know that she can submerged? take a shower but there's a very different sprinkling and spattering of water versus being submerged is drastically right different. and being submerged with force it's going to cause another kind of level of thing because being able to gently put something underwater then pick it back out versus throwing it at the water hundreds of feet per second is drastically different. Yeah, that's true. So there's a scene where I was dumb, if you guys want to read that. So while reading, I've read this book before, by the way, plenty of times. But for some reason, when I was reading and it was the part where it said Kai jumped, I was like, he did? Nope, just kidding. Because we're talking about Cinder jumping and did she survive and being in the water? And it says, like, could she have survived? Kai jumped. And I'm like, what? He jumped in the water, too? And literally, like, the next sentence is that, like, that's not what happened. He just jumped because Levana was, like, there and it freaked him out. He jumped up in fright versus... So, but I kept off. it in the notes so everybody would know how dumb I am. <laughs> I love Kai's sass. That was some marvelous entertainment, by the way. I had high expectations and you did not disappoint. Yes! Yeah. Love it! The sass is alive in this one. So, Amory comes back <laughs> and nobody acknowledges the fact that he was gone. I don't think Levana knew. Well, she was focused on her thing. So Amory comes in, and Levana is like, comb that lake. I want her heart serves me on a silver platter. And Amory's like, sure, sure. Also, um, there's a disturbance. She's like, clearly. And he's like, cool, cool. But also, um, everybody's kind of like revolting and um, rioting. Is that bad? Should we like be worried about that? Amory, she snapped. Have the lake combed by morning. I want the cyborg's heart served to me on a silver platter. Amory bowed. 
It will be done, your majesty. He nodded toward the group of thaumaturges that had arrived after all the action, who were all trying to look like the destruction of the throne room wasn't as shocking as it was. Four of them departed. I'm afraid I must inform your majesty that there has been a disturb. Clearly there is a disturbance, Lavana bellowed. She jutted her red fingernail toward the lake. Do you think I can't see that? Amory pressed his lips. Of course, my queen, but there is something else. Her gaze burned. What else could there be? As you know, the trial and execution tonight was live broadcast to all sectors. It would appear that as a result of the cyborg's escape, the people are... They are rioting. In several sectors, it seems. SB1 is the nearest that our security footage indicates, and there also appears to be a sizable crowd of civilians beginning to march toward Artemisia from as far away as AT6. She did not escape. Lavana's voice sounded thin and taut, about to splinter. Kai took another step away from her. She is dead. Tell them she is dead. She could not have survived the fall. And find her! Find her! Yes, my queen. We will assemble a broadcast informing the people of Lynn Cinder's death immediately. But we cannot guarantee that this alone will subdue the riots. Enough! Lavana shoved the thaumaturge out of her way and stormed toward her throne, planting herself before it. Barricade the maglev tunnels in and out of Artemisia. Shut down the ports. No one is to enter or leave this dome until that cyborg has been found and the civilians of Luna have repented for their actions. If anyone tries to get through the barricades, shoot them. And Lavana's reaction. This, what you were talking about earlier, like Ravana's reaction to everything and what she does. Lavana's reaction to finding out that her people are like trying to riot, revolt, and like literally march and seize her home is still find her. She did not escape. Tell them she's dead. Find her. Find her. It's still only like I don't. I don't care. I don't see them as a threat. Cinder is the threat. Cinder is the person we need to eliminate. Mm -hmm. Well, that's true. It's the idea of the hope, the symbol to the revolt. Because mm -hmm. those people wouldn't have done it without the placement Yeah. for the queen. So here we have, Lavana says shut down, travel to Artemisia. Finally, another leader speaks up. We have Prime Minister Bromstad of Europe, who says they were invited to a wedding, not a war, and they're leaving. And Lavana is like, you could murder yourself and stop being my problem, but you're not leaving. And Kai steps in and says, I won't make you empress if you don't stop all this bloodshed. you imagine being so powerless that you have to use like your tiny little... His, his only trump card is, I won't marry you, but he could... Lavana could easily force that marriage. Pure manipulation, and she knows that. Well, they're already married. He just won't make her empress. Correct, but he's just like a little, little mouse chirping. That's ultimately what I see out of it because he has no power Rear. to yeah. stop these actions. I mean, a power and authority just comes from the others willing to submit to your words. He does bring up a good point. His power also lies in numbers. Lavana could kill him. She could kill all the Earth and leaders. Yeah. But Earth is too big of a planet, and she could not control all of the people on them the same way that she does the moon. 
So she needs to have some level of elected or appointed. She can't control them all, but she can kill them all. So it's not really a big deal for her, ultimately. Her prime issue is she needs resources. Sure, it'd be nice to have full control over those things, but it's also nice to not have war. So Levana doesn't care about that. Levana doesn't care about correct, war. but that's the point. She yeah, doesn't care yeah. About those people, so glassing everything, and then taking the resources later after the fact, coming in well down the line. Whatever. Did you mean gassing everything? No, glassing. What's glassing? Glassing's like nuking. So oh, okay. So something, sand turns to glass. It's like going to the level of an extreme that you just you just commit full genocide against the entire earth. And then once you're done, you don't have to convince people to follow you. There's nobody to convince. You just go get the resources and live, your, live out your days. Unless you have like a Chernobyl thing and then you can't go into the area. I mean, that's part of the reason they did the... <laughs> the war that she's already committed a decade plus ago, she's, <laughs> I mean, she literally is doing a biological warfare against an entire planet. Just to weaken it. Or if she had done it better, it would have annihilated that But planet. she wants some of the humans. She wants to have humans to... Control. To control, but also it's a labor force for her. But once again, you don't need the whole planet. It's true. Well, I don't know why she chooses not to then. I don't either. Because at that point, if you really don't care about the people, you kill 90% of it, and then you breed what you need to be your slave force that you want. That's what she ultimately wants. I mean, that's what she's done with her own people. She's turned them into slaves, so yeah. So it seems silly to go the other route. It's, I think it's just that, once again, it's the idea, the vision, that she's not a brutal dictator. Yeah that she's a benevolent queen that will, like, be good. That's what them. she thinks of herself as. Yes. Yeah. Correct. So I think that's the only reason, It's that's the only thing that brings it all back, is simply she's still thinking of herself in a certain way. Yeah, that's true. So here we have the end of this chapter is Lavana agreeing that she won't kill the people. The earth ends. And she turns to Kai and says, this little rebellion will not succeed. Cinder will not save you. And the sight of you is making me ill. And then she storms off, in which case I wrote in my notes that she's being very extra after. She literally makes a scene and then is like, bye. And then we have Lynn Audrey, who finally does or says something. I love that in the dungeons, Lynn Audrey and Lynn Pearl were so terrified of Cinder that it took them an entire day to even talk to her. Meanwhile, Lavana was just here murdering people, and Audrey is like, not only is she ready to talk, but she literally begs to go home. I want to go home. But Lynn Audrey looks at it as she looks at the her stepdaughter as a serial killer. A murderer looks at the queen as a person of authority and power so she's just she's and she's also always she's fully subordinate to authoritative like people to where she ba she's always asking for like the king or the prince for things like oh i, I want to be a part of the ball or i want to be this or i want to do that but she's always asking for permission so once again she's asking for permission to get she's not the only one i would also want to go home but kai says no. 
I don't really have a way to make that happen. Yeah. So let's talk about song choices. You have to go first. So I chose a satirical thing, so please don't uh, crucify me in the comments. Or Bethany, this, they're in this whole scenario, this thing that really kind of caught me off or just made me kind of chuckle, like near the end, Amory's coming in to say, hey, yeah, here's all these bad things that just happened. Oh, by the way, um, there's all these more bad things happening. And uh, quite a while ago on the show Family Guy, Peter Griffin had talked about he's good at giving bad news. And they did a, a small satirical skit of a, a barbershop quartet coming in and singing about the bad news that took place. And all I could think about was Amory coming in with like three other thaumaturges, <laughs> like doing a little dance. And it's, it's just like, you got problems. Yes, you got problems. And just kind of going on about all the different problems. So the song I chose was You Got AIDS by Peter Griffin. And <laughs> instead of saying AIDS or HIV and stuff of that nature, please chime in the idea or thought of <laughs> you got a loose cyborg murderer on your hands <laughs> about you're just getting wrecked all around <laughs> and just so that it it's kind of it just lightens the mood and i just think it'd be so funny to have seen that, <laughs> that and then yeah that completely changes the tone of the scene too because oh, yeah. we would go from like death and destruction to like man i hope there's then maybe there's hope for the future. Let's find out what happens to Cinder. And instead, you're like, da, 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 da. <laughs> everything's funny within time. Just like, right? has there been enough time, right? And I think the standard is what 25 years after 25 years. About <laughs> the thing. Obviously, it happened less than 25 minutes ago. So so not maybe not quite. So not quite. I think it would be hilarious at some point to see a barbershop quartet uh, do that. Okay, listeners, you guys, get on that. Write me. Write me the barbershop. <laughs> Quartet version of this scene for Quentin. I will play it for him. He will be very happy. I will uh, give you one, maybe two thumbs up. <laughs> so I chose Bad Blood, another Taylor Swift song. Did you have to see this? I was thinking that you could be trusted. I don't think anybody ever thought Lovato really could be trusted, but I think there was like a tiny little glimmer of hope. They just really, really wanted it. I love the bad blood concept when in a room filled with blood where there's literally a drain in the middle of the room. Like, now we got problems, and I don't think we can solve them. We made a really deep cut, and now we got bad blood. Do you think we'd be fine? I still got scars on my back from your knife. Don't think it's in the past. These kinds of wounds, they last and they last. They do, though. Like... Stop laughing at me. I let you say your song, and I didn't laugh at you, and yours was ridiculous. <laughs> no, I like the idea of thinking of this concept between Lavana and Earth as not just a contractual obligation, but a teeny tiny glimmer of hope, and that hope is immediately evaporated as soon as Lavana does or says anything, anything at all. So, yeah. Bad blood. Just thinking of Taylor Swift being hard cracks me up. So, sorry. Like, while lyrically, it kind of somewhat makes sense here. It's I know, but she's just like, <laughs> she's she's all sweetness, right? It's, it's, that's why every time your song goes, blah, 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 <laughs> like, hard song-ish, like, it's just, 
she's not she doesn't have that intensity to be hard and this is like one of those scenes you either go the full satirical route or you go like the full matching route of like uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a cute things can never be uh. oh you mean like me when i get mad and you're like yeah. i can't take you seriously you're yeah, tiny you're and so adorable <laughs> Indeed. okay so let's talk about chapter quotes this is with audrey might we Audrey gulps, and he could see her see the fluttering and rise and fall of her chest as she tried to gather herself. Might it be possible for you to send my daughter and me home? She sniffed, and branded, brand new tears pooled in her eyes, scrunching her face. She let her shoulders slump. Her body barely supported the corner of the room. I'm ready. I want to go home now. Please. <laughs> Please. Please. It's... It's just after everything that's taken place, she has the, the gall to just be like, I'm the just, audacity. I'm just done. So can this like just be done? I'm gonna go and home. we all have that moment where we're just done with something, and they just have no more to give. And my thought was just, I, I've definitely experienced that. I'm assuming you all have experienced that at some point in your time. And that was just the the moment where you could just see she's just like, please. I want to be done. I just want to be done with this situation. I want to remove myself now. Yeah. Also, Ruth would be very proud because she's always trying to pick quotes that are like a paragraph long. And in the beginning of the podcast, I was like, I don't want to get sued by Marissa, so we can't have anything super long. And she was like really grumpy about it. So mm. she would be proud that you picked an entire paragraph because now you're allowed to do that because I don't think Marissa will sue me now. I don't know. I mean, would it be Marissa or her publisher? I don't know. Probably. It's usually the publishers who get upset with stuff. All right. Publishers don't sue me either. So my <laughs> quote. It was there. We're, we love your stories. Oh. <laughs> my quote. Where is it? A couple pages back, actually, I think. Did that girl really believe she was the lost princess? Hell yeah, she believes it because she is. And you need to get on board, Lunars. I mean, they don't have a lot of options right now, so maybe they should reevaluate if they've picked the winning side, okay? So, uh, this week there was one Easter egg. The bonus word hair appeared once. The bonus word scars appeared once. Next time, I have a very special episode. It's the 150th episode of the Prince Cat Fan Pod. Can you believe it, Quentin? 150 For, episodes. I, I know when I saw that, I was like, dang, I picked the wrong episode. I could have been 150. No, because Marissa is 150, so. Oh, excuse me. Yeah. Excuse me. <laughs> so, listeners, I won't uh, pretend to take the place of the queen herself. <laughs> so, if you're interested in hearing what my wife and Marissa have to say when they just talk, yeah. next week's episode is for you. You're such a good little marketing cheerleader, whatever you call it. I like it. Good job. <laughs> After that, we are going to cover chapters 53 and 54. And then after that, the structure of the podcast will be changing. There is too much going on from here on out. Most of the chapters are going to be four chapters at a time, but it all takes place in one scene. So... After chapters 53 and 54, we will start doing multiple chapters per episode, sometimes three, sometimes four. They're probably still only going to be the same amount of length because it's still only like 20 to 30 pages, but I just want to give you guys a heads up. 
Usually this is the part where I tell people that they can plug themselves, but you don't do social media, so nobody can go to your social media. So you don't get to plug yourself. Just keep on, keep on, Ramby and crew. Nice. Nice. So you can find Prince Kai Fan Pod everywhere at Prince Kai Fan Pod. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe. If you want to become a Patreon member and be a guest on an episode with me, you can visit patreon.com slash princekaifampod and see all of the Patreon perks. And that's it. Thank you so much. I'm like still psyched that you agreed to do this. You're welcome. I am. All right. So maybe maybe there will be a return of the Quentin someday. Who knows? You have to wait until the next time I can be scary. It's true. I actually do have a lot of scary voice episodes coming up. (laughs) Um, Readers, listeners, keep reading, keep listening, and until next time, don't get glamored. But I'm already glamored by you. Aw. Maybe we'll just leave it there. Don't get glamored. Bye. Got glamored. Bye. The chapters discussed today are from Winter by Marissa Meyer, and the audio clips were from Rebecca Solaire's performance of Winter, a Macmillan audiobook production. This podcast is hosted and produced by Bethany Finger, and today's special guest was Quentin Finger. The intro-outro music was composed by Emma Pavo, and the logo art was created by Sunlit Tangles on Instagram. Thank you for listening.